Hey now, welcome to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We start today's show on a sad note with news that Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff died over the weekend at age 71. He was an immediate top star as a heel when he joined WWF in the 80s, teaming with Rowdy Roddy Piper against Hulk Hogan and Mr. T in the main event of WrestleMania 1. He also fought Hogan inside a steel cage during Saturday night's main event and had a huge match with him in Toronto in front of more than 75,000 fans. He won titles in both the NWA and WCW, and he retired and left the business as a WWE Hall of Famer who also played a role in helping train Goldberg in the WCW power plant. So it's tough news, obviously, to begin today's show losing a legend to this degree, but there is no doubt that Mr. Wonderful will be remembered. Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the WWE edition. I'm sorry, Riddle, the WWE Money in the Bank Ultimate Preview Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we're not only breaking down everything that happened in the world of WWE this week. We are here with your ultimate preview for the first pay-per-view inside WWE's return to touring, Money in the Bank, coming up this Sunday in Fort Worth, Texas. None other than the co-host of this podcast, Vintage Chris Vanini, will be in attendance. So we are both extremely excited for this event, extremely excited to bring you this ultimate preview and discuss everything that happened this week across both Raw and SmackDown. But of course, it would not be the Getting Over Wrestling podcast if we did not begin on the business end of things, because we need to remind you what this show is all about. That's right. It's all about those five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. So please head over there, drop a rating, leave a review, let people know what you think about the show. All of those ratings and reviews are crucial to helping us jump up those Apple Podcast charts, get more listeners, maybe one day make a little bit of money off this podcast, but it also gives us motivation to continue informing and entertaining you every single week. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, uh, tweets live during all four major shows. You can participate in our pre and post show polls ahead of every uh, pay-per-view and following every pay-per-view and really just a great way to communicate all week long and join us for live audio as well, which we actually do right ahead of every pay-per-view on Twitter Spaces, which is available on your Twitter app for iOS or Android, or of course, desktop and mobile web. Okay, so now that the business end is all taken care of, I do welcome in my co-host, Vintage Chris Vanini, who, as I said, will be at Money in the Bank this Sunday. Chris, how excited are you to see WWE Live for the first time? And I don't even know the last time you went to a WWE event. For me, uh, it was, you know, WrestleMania 35 was the last one I attended. What about you? It was a, it was an NXT house show here in Dallas. I went by myself. I also, but since then I've gone to an ROH show. I've gone to a New Japan show. Uh, but did you go to the G1 show? I did, the one that was in oh, Dallas. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. That was fun. 
And, and so last uh, WWE branded show from me, I believe, was the same WrestleMania 35 in was it? No, 34 in New Orleans. That'd be you went to New Orleans. There. Yeah. 35 yes. was in New York. I was supposed to go to 36. Obviously, it got canceled due to the covid pandemic. Uh, and then I was going to go. I, I wanted to go to 37 this year, but it was the same weekend as the Masters. So after going to WrestleMania four years in a row, I have been shut out. I do think, you know what? Now that you mention it. Coming out of WrestleMania 35, I did go to an NXT house show. So I do think that was my last WWE event technically, but my last major WWE event was 35. So this is going to be a big one for you as well. Money in the bank. Are you, uh, what's the deal? You're going by yourself, right? Um, wife couldn't go. I think the, the friend that you have that likes wrestling couldn't go. I've never gone to a pay-per-view myself. Are you anticipating that? A little apprehensive? Like, what does that feel like? Well, I, I had two options. I had either the Money in the Bank in Fort Worth or the Raw in Dallas. The Dallas one is closer. I live north of Dallas. But when I thought about it, I realized only one of the two shows was going to have the head of the table present. True. And I realized I I had to make the trek out to Fort Worth to pay my respects to the tribal chief uh, in person. So I know I've never been to a pay-per-view other than that one WrestleMania. I've been to a handful of Raws, uh, one or two SmackDowns maybe, the NXT shows I mentioned, but not a not an arena pay-per-view. So that's going to be fun on top of that's just cool. the general excitement of crowds being back. I mean, that the, the coming the next SmackDown in Houston is going to be wild. I, I think Money in the Bank is going to be uh, just as big, if not bigger. It's going to be a fun weekend of wrestling, I think. It is. I've actually never been to a specialty pay-per-view. So, for example, like the Royal Rumble, Money in the Bank, King of the Ring, anything like that. I've mostly gone to WrestleManias. I think I've been to six WrestleManias at this point, which is just crazy. But it, that's also because I live in Florida. So I get more opportunity, obviously, to go to them. And the only other WWE pay-per-view I can remember going to was Armageddon, the very first Armageddon, Armageddon. where Miss Kitty took her top <laughs> off. And uh, I was at the perfect age a, where that, mem- that <laughs> it was memorable. One. It meant a lot to me. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it worked out pretty well. Um, but <laughs> the look, bubble, the bubble wrap, right? Uh, yes, the bubble wrap one. Yeah, I did go to the NXT takeover in New Orleans. I don't know if that counts, but oh, yeah, uh, sure. I mean, yeah, takeover weekends. Yeah, I've gone to a couple of those as well. And those are obviously fantastic. But Money in the Bank should be interesting I, I, to see ladder matches of that caliber live. I mean, I, we saw one, both of us, I guess, at takeover New Orleans. Um, and that was incredible with Ricochet yeah. in that match. So the fact yeah. that we get that one again. You get to see it live, but with WWE superstars, like a full lineup of them, the caliber, you know, of which is in that match, not to mention the women's money in the bank match as well. The title matches. This is going to be an incredible show, and we are excited to break down the entire thing for you. But Chris, we got to get into the show. This is let let me break it down for everyone how this is going to work today. So there's a lot that happened in the world of WWE. So we're going to give you a main event. We're going to give you the good, bad and the ugly, and then we're going to save everything else that's somewhat tangentially related to the pay-per-view itself for the final segment of today's show, the Money in the Bank Ultimate Preview. And if you're listening to this towards the end of the week, maybe Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, right before the pay-per-view is about to begin, all you need to do, check our episode description. We will have timestamps for every single segment so you can skip right to the end of the show, which will be the largest portion, as I said, the Money in the Bank Ultimate Preview. But Chris... This is the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It is the WWE edition. So we're going to get this started as we always do with the main event. It's the main event. 
So really quick before we get into like the big news of the week and break down the rest of the shows, I just wanted to say off the top that there was a massive improvement, at least in my opinion, on WWE television this week. I thought on SmackDown, nearly every segment was better than its equivalent a week prior. And except for one complaint I had about match length, everything on the show top to bottom was either good or great. And then Raw on Monday night was also a huge improvement, and it was way closer to the show that we had gotten the two weeks prior, so not last week's abomination, just because everything that happened was a little bit different, a little bit fresh. And on top of all of that, Chris, I can't even believe what I'm about to say, but there was not a single disqualification, countout, or roll-up finish to a single match across both shows. If you will it, dude, it is no dream. It is no dream. It actually happened in a week of WWE television. Dude, this was a good week of WWE TV. I thought it was solid go-home shows. I know the SmackDown technically wasn't. That one's going to be coming this Friday with the return of fans. But I was very optimistic based on what I saw this week. Yeah, somebody at WWE, I think, listens to the show. And if you do, I don't know. Shout out. Ed, there have been several times we have been we have complained about a very specific thing that happened too much on an episode and then uh, on a weekend. And then the next week we don't get it. This is an example. We went off about roll ups last week and then we got none. We got some cradles and stuff like that this week. But it's OK. That's fine. Exactly. And we yeah. explained that, that that was fine. So I think somebody at WWE listen to the show. And if you do, shout out to you. But yeah, it was a really good set of SmackDown and Raw to which I kept telling myself, why are you saving this for the Thunderdome when we've got fans coming up? Because this is really good stuff and yeah. we don't always trust them to be good week to week. But yeah, it was a good weekend of WWE uh, wrestling TV. And by the way, if you didn't notice it based on some of the drops I've already played, I forgot to mention at the top of the show, the Silver King got you a new soundboard. So yeah. we are stocked, locked, and loaded with the normal sound drops we play on getting over, some old school ones from prior shows that I was on, and some new ones that both myself and Chris wanted to add. So I have some tweaks to make. A lot of them are getting cut off at the very beginning. That's going to take you know, probably another week for me to edit every single one again and, and make them better. But don't you worry. We have a lot more sound drops. Uh, I'm not going to overuse them in the show. But nevertheless, we got more variety, and that is ultimately the goal. Nevertheless, let's move on to the second part of the main event. So WWE TV was good this week. Injury news from WWE, not so good, because we learned that Bailey tore her ACL and is going to be out approximately nine months while she rehabs. So before we get into talking about Bailey, let's allow Bailey to explain for herself. Uh, I know what you're thinking, and you're thinking that this sucks because you wanted to see the longest reigning SmackDown Women's Champion in history regain what's rightfully hers, to walk into Money in the Bank and beat Bianca Belair once and for all and take back my title. But now I'm hurt. And now that I think about it, that's not what you're thinking. You don't care at all. You don't care that I'm hurt, that I did this to get better for money in the bank, that I did this to be the best, that I did this for you. So this, yeah, this is all your fault. This is all your fault. 
And I don't give a damn who they put in my place because they're not as good as me. No, Bailey, that's where you're wrong because it does suck. I did want to see you in that match. And I actually thought you were going to beat Bianca Belair and reclaim the SmackDown Women's Championship. Look, Chris, uh, there's an easy case to be made that Bailey was the MVP of the pandemic era, the Thunderdome era, whatever you want to call it. No one made more out of what they were given for a longer period of time than Bailey. And that's even with some shoddy booking, you know, kind of screwing her up here and there. She was the SmackDown Women's Champion for 380 days. And actually, 500 out of 505 days from May 2019 until October 2020, aside from Charlotte Flair's like five-day reign that she had. She was also tag team champions with Sasha Banks for three months during that span. Everything that Bayley did was good and gold, really, from the role model gimmick, the feud that she had with the Kabuki Warriors along with Sasha, the Sasha Banks feud. It didn't you know, play out the way we hoped and expected in a huge match at a major pay-per-view, but that doesn't mean it wasn't good. It was actually pretty great. And even her ding-dong hello segments were a mix of super entertaining and relatively hilarious as well. It just sucks that she's gone right as fans are about to come back. And in a situation where, as I just said, I actually thought she was going to win the title back and it would make booking sense based on how I was booking the damn territory at Money in the Bank. Instead, she has to go to rehab. And rehab is not a break. It's not time off. But if anyone deserves the time to rest their body and their mind a little bit, maybe get into a groove and come up with a great idea for a hot return, it's her. The return is going to be awesome. And I wonder if they're going to have her be completely absent during this nine-month period, or if they're going to use her for talk show segments, kind of like they are right now at The Miz. But Chris, either way, it's a huge loss for WWE. It's a huge loss for the fans. And an awful time, right as we're about to get fans back, right as WWE is about to go on tour again. But I am sure that in the end, it's going to be okay. And when we get Bailey back, she'll probably be better than ever. Yeah, Bailey was my pick for Women's Wrestler of the Year in 2020. I, I think Sasha ended up winning our year-end awards, but Bailey was my pick for all the reasons that you laid out. It it is it was it should be considered one of the best heel turns in modern, maybe last 10, 15 years of professional wrestling. To go from the as babyface of a babyface you can get with the previous Bailey to what she became. And right around WrestleMania is when she kind of figured that character out and was so good. And she is one of the best heels in the company now. She she has done such a good job. She's come so far on the mic to, to the point where she's hosting her own talk show. Remember when Bailey was uh, babyface Bailey was cutting the promo uh, on a raw one time and the crowd was getting to her. Now she's hosting a talk show. And if there was a crowd, I know she would handle it incredibly well. She's come so far. She's so talented and it sucks to not have her for at least nine months. I think the report was that they were doing some sort of post Thunderdome training and it sounded like it was a freak accident um, based on the reports but man really sucks and it really hurts a smackdown's women's women's division that is so thin right now and we'll get into into some new additions that they made because they are beefing it up to, to yes, give them credit. but 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 that division had so many cuts over the last handful of months and Ridiculous, to lose yeah. bailey at the top of that car at top of that division is tough i hope they keep her around 
like you said, it's going to be tougher to keep around, though, when you're on the road. It, it was easier to have Miz travel around when he can just be there in Florida. But the idea of Bailey just hosting a talk show every week, I think, would do wonders for that division if they could keep doing it. Yeah, it's tough because on one hand, you say, OK, bring her in once a month for Ding Dong Hello, like the go home show to each pay-per-view have her do an interview segment. And I think that would be a great idea. It would get over. Fans would love her. In fact, the problem with it is probably fans would cheer her. Right. Right. And she wouldn't be that much of a heel. Or she'd be bigger than the people involved she, in the match. Possibly. Right. Depending who it is. So that's one of the issues you run into. But the other is if you do bring her in every month, you potentially not ruin, but you soften the surprise and excitement. Yeah. Of yeah. a return to the ring. Now, you could do it within a ding dong hello segment. Nine months from now, she's interviewing someone and she just attacks them. And oh my God, she's healthy and it's a great thing. But then you don't get that huge surprise moment. And I think with Becky Lynch coming back sooner than later, with Sasha Banks coming back sooner than later, and with this nine month period, and ACLs, you know, we cover college football, they heal a lot faster these days than they did 10 years ago. 20 years ago, and certainly 30 years ago. So that nine-month period, that may be shorter. That could be seven months, eight months. You know, We don't know exactly how long it's going to be. But even if it is nine months, that gets her back like one month before WrestleMania. She missed WrestleMania this year um, just because they didn't book her on the show, which was shocking to everyone involved. And I think we all assumed she was going to fight Becky Lynch, and that never happened. They have the ability to now do that next year, whether it's Becky or whether it's just put Bailey in a really big match at WrestleMania. So I don't know what they're going to do, but it does create in a time of suck, for lack of a better term, an opportunity has been created with Bailey. And I do hope that whatever they decide, the WWE is able to capitalize on it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, I'm always in the boat of surprise return at a show. Don't 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 tweet it ahead of time. Don't ruin the surprise. But I know. Imagine if she's health, healthy enough to be the number 30 at the Royal Rumble. Like, yeah. that's probably not going to happen time wise. But imagine if that was the case, you know, yeah. and you don't see her for six months or seven months prior to that. Yeah. So we, we look forward to Bailey coming back when that happens. Uh, she has been an MVP for the last for the for the Thunderdome era, one of the top three people of the Thunderdome era. And speaking of the Thunderdome era, thank you for that transition. We are done. It is over. Kaput in the books. Kablooey. The Thunderdome is officially dead. Now, WWE posted a video about 495 days in the Thunderdome. I don't know if that's accurate. I feel like it's 495 days of the pandemic era, yeah. not being in front of fans. Yeah, it's only been about a year. It was about SummerSlam last year was when it started. That's what, yeah, that sounds about right. So regardless, let's say it's been a year of the Thunderdome, but basically 500 days without WWE being regularly in front of fans. And I just want to briefly discuss how we're going to remember the Thunderdome era and the pandemic era, because I personally believe that WWE actually went ahead and did the best they could in a worst case scenario. I'm not saying the booking was the best that they could do or the stories or the matches or really anything like that. From a presentation standpoint, what they initially did with what is now the Capitol Wrestling Center, the WWE Performance Center, the way they set it up for that WrestleMania, WrestleMania 36, the sign in the corner, and just how insane it was to do that, to how they progressively added hockey glass. They had um, the Performance Center trainees standing back there. And then when they finally got into the Thunderdome, 
I know it wasn't perfect and it wasn't great. I still, to this day, have issues with the way they did the fans on the screens when we saw the NBA do it far better. But let's not discount the investment, the effort, the technology, and that they use the Thunderdome to do things that they normally could not do, whether it's Ricochet, you know, squashing John Morrison over a barricade outside to some of the crazy shit they did with Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens to even just The Fiend and Alexa Bliss and some of the supernatural stuff that you never could have actually done live in an arena in front of fans. So did it have its flaws? Yes. And did some hate the Thunderdome? Is that understandable? Sure, absolutely. I appreciated the effort and spectacle of the entire thing. And I must say, after about a month, it kind of became second nature, where it was like, okay, the Thunderdome, yeah, this is cool. It looks cool. Let's get on with the show. You really, you didn't forget that fans weren't there, but you forgot that you were watching wrestling during a pandemic. And I think in that yeah. way, it succeeded. Yeah. I, I look at, um, I, don't, I don't know, the Thunderdome era or the pandemic era. I, I look at it in two periods. The first period was was performance center. That's when things were at their lowest point. You know, we question if they should even be running because obviously WWE pushed to make itself an essential business in the state of Florida in the early stages of the pandemic. Um, and, and there were concerns about that. But I think overall, they did a really good job. And, and the Performance Center stuff was not great. But once they got to the Thunderdome, they could go back to their typical camera angles, their typical cuts, their typical Titantron stuff. And it, yeah, it really felt like pretty much normal wrestling just kind of if you weren't listening or paying attention to the background and i liked the piped in sound i know some people don't like it i know it took them a long time to figure out the right levels for it even toward the end they were still having loud noises during promos which is not how it works with the crowd but it, it is really quite a feat of engineering to to make that happen now i think they didn't go as far as they could have with taking advantage of what was given to them. You, obviously, we mentioned the Ricochet stuff, the Kevin Owens, Roman Reigns, Last Man Standing stuff. I wish they had done a lot more of that. I think they could have done so many more cinematic things uh, that they could have done um, different sets. They could have done... I, I liked the greatest wrestling match between Randy Orton and Edge, which I think was a performance center at the time, but it was a taped match. They put in some sounds. They put in some camera cuts that were weird. I found it entertaining. I thought they could have done a lot more of that kind of stuff. And I was surprised that they didn't. And once they got to the Thunderdome, they really just kind of got back to their old ways of we're going to do the same million camera cuts the way they always do it. Uh, so overall, I think they very much succeeded considering what was ahead of them and not knowing what was going to happen. Um, but part of me thinks they could have done a bit more. And, and I'm curious what comes from this. They were allowed to tell the stories the way they wanted to tell them. I think largely they did a pretty good job, especially when you look at the Roman Reigns thing. So I'm curious how uh, how crowd reactions will uh, affect things moving forward. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be exciting. And I probably should have mentioned it at the start of the show. But Chris and I decided, you know what? Fans are coming back. We give you full effort, full extension on this podcast. We do whatever we can. We're going to give you a special edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast Friday night as soon as SmackDown goes off the air. It's going to be a little bit instant analysis, a little bit Money in the Bank go-home show, and the Silver King is going to have an interview 
with a former WWE champion. So it's going to be a loaded episode, a special episode. Do not forget to join us on Friday for that. We will talk about the rest of the schedule for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast at the end of today's show, because next up, Chris, we need to move on to our still somewhat new segment, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. We will start with the United States Championship match Monday night on Raw, Sheamus defending against Humberto Carrillo. So Sheamus was wearing a black face guard. He was screaming at Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville for forcing him to defend the title. He later attacked Creo backstage, only to catch a stare down from Damian Priest. Creo refused to delay the match and demanded to fight, showing a lot of guts. I thought it was a good piece of character building for him more than anything else. But then he basically grabbed his back as soon as the bell rang, almost collapsed, and Sheamus hit him with a bro kick for a win in less than 15 seconds. Sheamus then felt his nose and attacked Creo, and he was about to stomp on his nose and kind of, you know, uh, eye for an eye, give him an eye for an eye type of deal. When Priest music hit, he came in and made the save. This was a little bit tough for me because I wanted to see Creo get a real shot at the title. I wanted to see a full match between him and Sheamus. And now I'm not sure that he's going to, but it has been obvious, we talked about it for a long time, that Sheamus against Priest was the ultimate direction this thing had to go. The expectation is that they're going to be fighting each other at SummerSlam for the championship. So that is all pretty exciting. I'll stick with good for the storytelling, but I don't think it was great by any means. I'm giving it a bad, but I'm not really faulting anybody for it. The the whole Seamus injured thing, it's been, what, six weeks now? It's been a long time. I don't know if this is going on longer than they thought, but this story feud has been dead in its tracks for more than a month now. Um, You know, I I get what they were going for. They tried it. Seamus probably can't actually wrestle, but this is a way to do it. We didn't have to take any hits. That's my assumption, yeah. Yeah, so... You know, that it was what it was. I feel bad for Damian Priest, man. The guy cannot like <laughs> catch a break here uh, since he, he they've been trying to push him into these things. And it's just things around him keep happening that are not his fault. Uh, in hindsight, I would have essentially pulled a, you know, UFC thing where you, you don't strip him of the title, but you have a you have a uh, interim an interim champ. Yeah until Sheamus is ready to fight and then they can fight him at SummerSlam or, or something like that. Cause it, it, these guys have just kind of been floundering and it's not their fault. I'm giving it a bad, but they, they, they really haven't had a chance for more than a month here. Hey, you're going with bad, but it wasn't objectionably bad. Like it was just disappointing. Is kind of what you're saying. Well, I got three options and I, I it wasn't good. So I got to go with bad. All right, that's fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Jinder Mahal invited Drew McIntyre to the ring on raw so he could shake <laughs> his hand, apologize and return the claymore. McIntyre appeared on the Titantron instead, calling Jinder a liar. So Mahal unveiled the refurbished Claymore, which was basically just broken into pieces. So I popped because, and I was ready even to recant my take from last (laughs) week, because I thought this was a really smart way to get rid of the stupid sword and return McIntyre to this cool, dominant face gimmick before fans come back. But instead of them actually doing that, McIntyre conveniently reveals The sword Mahal stole was a replica. Why was he upset last week when he stole it then? And then he tore apart Jinder's motorcycle, mostly pulling the fiberglass off and kind of throwing it backstage. 
So they literally pulled the rug out from under me, making me think they did something good, but ultimately not doing it. McIntyre later told the story of Icarus, and he basically said nothing's going to stop him from winning Money in the Bank. So it was better than last week, but I can't go with good because it didn't really do anything. So yeah, I just, I'm not going to go ugly either, but I do have to go with bad. It's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. It just doesn't work. And Drew being this new folklore kind of silly person, it have him be the cool face. That's what we like. That's why we fell in love with him as a potential face for the raw brand. So go back to that. I don't know what they're doing. I was someone who gave gender uh, a good last week for this. You didn't like it, but I did. I like this but promo now, but, tonight. I will but, say. but now I got to give it a, a promo was good, but yeah. now I got to give it a bad because they're just, I guess, taking away the feud that they were going to give us. Because Drew's like, I don't care about gender. I'm just going to do it. Maybe gender. Oh, they're awesome. still going to feud. There's, I don't know. It's yeah. just a weird. It's just weird for to like set it up, not make a story out of it. And then we're going. The, the timing with this has all been weird because Money in the Bank's involving a lot of different feuds going on. If we get to Drew and gender, that'll be good. But this is a weird way to just, like you said, pull the rug off of what we did last week. Dr- Drew says, you don't bring your real car to Monday Night Raw. You don't bring your real sword. By the way, here's the real sword. So he carries the real sword and the replica, or he only brings the replica sword. Every I, I week? don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. That's, and if he's always I bringing mean, the replica, then why is it cool that he has it in the first place? It's like, yeah. What I are mean, you doing? if we're if we're gonna open this door, we gotta go down this hall. Yeah. We gotta go down this path here. So, and then when he said story again, I screamed because we say this every week now. Whenever he says story, you know it's gonna be ridiculous. And this wasn't a. Thankfully, this wasn't a long story. It was just a basic tale of just basically mentioning Icarus and that's it. But like, dude, what the hell happened to Drew McIntyre, man? For he was, you know, we're talking about MVPs of of the of 2020. He was a star in the performance center in the early days of the Thunderdome when he was just so freaking cool. He was not stupid. He just he was a face who kicked ass and was there to kick ass. And did it. Now he's just ridiculous. And I'm curious to see what the reaction will be to him at Money in the yeah. Bank. I, I I think most people are going to probably get cheered because they're happy in general. But I think he'll get booed climbing up the ladder. He he probably will. Yeah. So I'm curious to see how that'll go. I think he will just because I think fans soured on him the same reason we did. That they took a guy who was cool. They overbooked him. Similar to how they overbooked Roman Reigns. And... Now they're trying to like move him in a new direction, but the new direction's corny. Like it started with the sword sound that they added to his Titantron, like his entrance. Then they actually brought the sword and kilt. Then he did the face paint for the Braveheart match against Sheamus. And I was okay with that in the moment. I'm just saying. But all of that packaging, this guy is the Scottish warrior. Even that I'm relatively okay with if when he's not wrestling, he's not wearing the kilt. Yeah. He's wearing the black jeans or, you know, the leather jacket that we talked about previously. And he still talks and acts like the badass cool dude that he was. But now that he's moving into this, he's almost becoming a John Cena version of the Scottish warrior is what's happening. Yeah, and it's very John Cena. Yeah. And it just thing. it doesn't work. And look, look, if people cheer him and kids like him and the fans tell us differently, then I'm OK with kind of walking that back and saying, you know what, it's working then go for it. But I don't think that's going to be the case. And it's disappointing because this guy was red hot. 
yeah. 2020. They did a great job building him into a main eventer. And then they just kind of let it dissipate. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the one, two, three Claymore, I thought that was kind of lame, but I can't, deni- I can't deny that crowds loved it. They did when it was going on. So so we'll we'll see. And I'm not saying turn him heel or anything. I'm just saying, like, make him like a person and not a cartoon character. And, exactly. and pe- yeah. people will like that because he's very he, he he's very personable. Exactly right. OK, let's move on. On SmackDown, we had a women's tag team match. It was a non-title match. It just shows you how few tag teams there are when you in order to have a women's tag team match. It has to include the champions. Well, like I said, they don't even have women on SmackDown. That's what I'm saying. But I'm saying just to even have one, the champions have to be in it, even if it's not for the title. Right. That's how few tag teams there are. But we had Natalia and Tamina against the surprise debut of Shotzi and Knox in a non-title match. And Shotzi hit the ball pit, which is her flying scent on, to pin Natalia in a three-minute match. Honestly, I was so completely shell-shocked by like the entire booking of this. <laughs> That I don't even know where to start breaking it down. And we have to kind of discuss it in two parts. The good part and like the bad part, right? First, it's awesome that Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Ox got called up. Both are extremely talented and well-deserving. Shotzi Blackheart is made for the WWE main roster. Plus, SmackDown needed more women on the roster. And it needed, I was going to say, another women's tag team. A women's tag team. I don't think they have one after everyone that they fired. Also commentary didn't act like they did with Piper Nevin Dewdrop, like they were strangers and they provided their NXT credentials as they were making their entrance and during the early portion of the match. And again, early portion of the match, it lasted three minutes. But everything else I just talked about, the introduction of Shotzi and Tegan, that's good. But holy shit, dude, there was so much wrong with this, starting it, starting with it being another three minute women's match on SmackDown. You can't give them five to 10 minutes to get new people over and show that the win is not a fluke. That shit is ugly. Zero point zero. And for anyone who knows NXT, this whole scenario is not only upsetting, but it's insulting to the viewer because NXT on Tuesday, three days before, had just spent three weeks teasing a return only for it to be Tegan Knox at the Great American Bash. She interfered in a match and started a new storyline with Candice LeRae. She cost them the women's tag team titles in NXT. Shotzi was already in a very good tag team with Ember Moon, and she had just gotten called out by the women's champion Raquel Gonzalez, and it seemed like they were going to be headed for a singles match for the women's championship in NXT. So WWE just said, eh, screw NXT's booking of two feuds only three days earlier, let's just bring them up in a tag team. And that, to me, is so, so bad. I don't give a damn what you people. That's the problem, Vince. That is the problem. So I I don't watch NXT, but I listen to the NXT AEW version of this pod most weeks. Um, the thing I'll say is that I assume this is because of Bailey. I, I don't think this was the plan. I don't remember exactly which day Bailey got. Her, <sighs> I don't but I know. Think it was after. I really think this like, for the reasons you just laid out. This the, it had to be a reaction to let Bailey me, not let being me there. Because brief, they let need, me briefly stop people. you. Let yeah. me briefly stop you. So they had been doing trial matches for WWE in front of Vince and and Bruce Pritchard and whoever else in creative and you know on the booking team. 
And Shotzi Blackheart had done like two of them or three of them. So they were already planning to call these people up before Bailey even got hurt. The Tegan Knox aspect, I have no idea where that came from. But Shotzi, it seemed like, was going to be a call-up. And Tony Storm, who we're going to talk about in a moment, it seemed like was already going to be a call-up. So I don't believe these were a direct reaction to Bailey, especially because you don't usually bring in a tag team to replace a single. No, but they may have just said instead of some singles match because they're dealing with money in the bank stuff. Just I, they, they, the whole purpose of the women's tag team belts right now is essentially to fill a segment. There, there, there's there's nothing else going on. It's it's just have a match so we can have women involved for three minutes and get us to it's a ridiculous. It, it, it it's really bad the way they book the women's tag division if you can even call that. So, uh, it, it it's good overall. Like you said, it's good that they're adding women to the main roster to SmackDown several of them who are very very talented they need kind of a refresh after they let half the dang roster go um but yeah it was a it was a weird way to do it and yeah let them have a good match they end this match with Cole and Pat McAfee who we love but they say this is one of the biggest upsets ever in the history of wrestling upset of the century it was a three-minute match, and it, it was not that kind of, like, they just oversold the crap out of it and just kind of was like, if you wanted to make it impactful, don't tell us it's the biggest upset ever. Give us a five- to ten-minute match where both teams look really good because, as we keep saying, nothing makes you look better than winning a very, very competitive match. Exactly. Not not a, not a three-minute nothing fest. So that's, I think, where... Who, who looked better? Who looked better? Rhea Ripley on Monday against Natalia, or Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox on Friday? The answer is Rhea Ripley. Yeah. Not, not only because the match was better, but she got the opportunity to have a good match. Yeah. You, I really, you, yeah. you can't, they, they're not even giving these women on SmackDown an opportunity. Liv Morgan has won like three or four matches in a row. None of them are memorable. Why? Because they've all been between a minute 30 and three minutes. Yeah. It always comes back to what I say. You show, don't. Tell. Sure don't and tell. I, I, re- I realized, I don't know, we were supposed to grade this, I think, but I, I give it I give it a good. Well, I gave it all three. So, <laughs> yeah, it, for it's a lot of, I mean, if I had to pick one, I'm going to give it a good. But again, it, it, it could have been better. Yeah. All right. So we'll stick with the women. Natalia was cutting a promo on Raw ahead of her scheduled match when Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke were laughing at her. Tamino wound up shoving Dana Brooke. It was scripted as hell, sure. But it was also the most like normal interaction that we've seen between all four of them. And it keeps the storyline going. So, I, I mean, I know it's tough to even grade this, but it was good. It, it was I, fine, you know. I, I disagree. It, it, did, it, it was incredibly scripted. And all of these segments between these two teams, for the most part, have been completely nonsensical. I can never understand who is the heel and who is the face and whether or not Mandy and Dana actually want to wrestle because it just keeps changing from week to week. This is weird like they're always weird. I, I, I'm grading it a weird. You can't. You have to pick one. I'm giving it a bad. Okay, there you go. Uh, Chad Gable on SmackDown put over Otis as a human wrecking ball, which is, by the way, a great nickname for him that they should have been using a long time ago. Gable said anyone, including Edge or Roman Reigns, could step to them and Otis would destroy them. I continue to love what they're doing with Otis and Gable, dude. My hope is that they actually follow through and make them champions probably sooner than later at this point. But I got to say, it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's really good stuff. I've loved these two ever since they put them together. 
I just, I want more for them and from them. I want either Otis to be IC champ or them to become tag team champs because I just want more of them on my screen every time. They're good with the, with the promos, the backstage interviews. They're good in the ring. Obviously, I wish we could get more of them in the ring. You know, we're talking about SmackDown and needing to hand out some more some more time. The, 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 these guys would be great to, to, to move over to Raw just to give them time to have more wrestling matches. But uh, this is good. Definitely good. And lastly here, a highlight package aired, as I mentioned earlier, for Tony Storm, who will be debuting soon on SmackDown. That, for me, is super exciting because Storm is main roster ready. And she was kind of lost since joining NXT because she was a main eventer who they didn't really want to give a title match based on booking. So hotshotting her to the main roster at just 25 puts SmackDown and puts her in prime position to have an incredible career as long as she's given the opportunity. She is the total package from looks to in-ring to promos. Her debut is going to be welcome. It's just weird that they're debuting all these people. We also expect Karrion Cross and Bronson Reed, if not others, to come up soon. But it's weird that they're debuting them so close to the expected WWE draft after SummerSlam. Nevertheless, though, for me, this was really good. I'm very excited to see Tony Storm. Yeah, uh, this also, the the women coming up, they've added, if you add Tony Storm, there'll be four women that have been added to SmackDown. Uh, between uh, Zelina Vega, uh, Shotzi and Tegan, and and now Tony Storm. So, and by the way, they have Mia Yim waiting in the wings. I, there was a report this week; she's officially no longer reckoning. I don't know if that means they're going to use her. I don't, but whatever. And you have Sonya Deville, who's just she's healthy. She's waiting for the booking yeah, to get knows? back into wrestling. So very quickly, they can revitalize that women's division. But guess yeah. what? It's not going to matter. If they only give them three minutes of TV time. Yeah. And one thing, another thing I'd say when I talk about a lot of things happen on the Raw and SmackDown that should happen on when you have fans, I I, I think either Zelina Vega or this tag team debut should have happened this coming Friday. This is such good shit. It was indeed. I am very excited for Tony Storm. So with that, Chris, let's move on to our WWE pay-per-view preview. Isn't this the Money in the Bank edition? Yes, yes, I'm sorry. Our WWE Money in the Bank Ultimate Preview, where we break down every single match and storyline on the card, along with everything that happened this week on SmackDown and Raw. And we're actually going to start with a match that's not going to happen at Money in the Bank, but is instead going to be held Friday night on SmackDown. Suddenly, we have a SmackDown Women's Championship match between Bianca Belair and Carmella. Now, we already discussed Bailey's injury earlier, but on SmackDown this Friday, Sonya Deville announced Belair would not defend her title at the pay-per-view, but instead on the go-home show against Carmella. Liv Morgan came out immediately complaining and stared down Deville, who shut her up by saying Liv was replacing Carmella in Money in the Bank. Liv told Mella she hopes she wins so she can cash in on her. Belair said she respected Bailey's competitiveness and had no problem defending the title against Mella. So there's a lot to unpack here, Chris. First, I actually thought this segment was really well done, especially Sonya Deville and Liv Morgan. They clearly yes. had to adjust the storyline on the fly. I was originally going to predict Bailey beating Belair in the I Quit match at the pay-per-view, which was an exciting stipulation, and I thought would lead to Liv potentially cashing in on Bailey if she won Money in the Bank. But with the title match off the pay-per-view, Mella beating Belair in the return to live touring with fans in attendance on Friday night 
I just don't really think they're actually going to pull that trigger. No, I I was going to pick Bianca over Bailey anyway, but now with Carmella, now with it being on a, a SmackDown, even though it's the first SmackDown with a crowd, um, still sticking with that. So it hasn't really changed, I think, with the result uh, for me between these two. And you're right about Sonya and Liv Morgan uh, doing very well in that segment. I figured we figured the plan w- was eventually Liv was going to win her way in in some form. We thought Sonya needed to heal it up a bit, heal it up a bit more right. to to kind of get the point across because it, it was the whole thing was a little bit confusing. And the way this ended, Sonya wasn't so much a heel, but she was kind of mean and Liv played it off well. Mm-hmm. She just like smiled and said, okay. <laughs> well, because she's like <laughs> and, complaining, and just, like, why are you screwing me? And then she's like, no, 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 I'm putting you in the match. Oh, shit. Like that would be the reaction, you know, it's like when you complain, it's like if you complain to your boss and then they gave you what you wanted, but they were kind of annoyed by it and you just kind of accepted. Right. Okay. You are Uh, happy about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So, so uh, kudos to her uh, for, for that. That was a good segment uh, all around Carmella. If she was already placed into the money in the bank match, it makes sense in having to alter the story that she's placed into the title match. She is more than qualified probably the most qualified woman on woman on the SmackDown roster left to take <laughs> Who's spot. active. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So yeah. Um, it doesn't change my thoughts either way. I'm, I, I'm going with Bianca Belair uh, retaining. Yeah. So we both have Belair retaining on Friday. I just think that makes the most sense. Cause even if you have Carmella beat her for the title, you could do it at the next pay-per-view, like build up right. a feud. You're not just going to have, you're not just going to take the title off the woman who was just at the ESPYs winning the award for match right. of the year in WWE on the very next SmackDown, the first one in front of fans where she, you're trying to get her over. Like, it's one thing if Bailey beats her through heel tactics at a pay-per-view. It is quite another just to have her lose to Carmella on Friday night. So if I mean, they that, do that, it, that, that, yeah. I'd be shocked. I'm not saying they yeah. can't, but I'd be shocked. Well, that, that's the same reason I didn't see Bailey getting it done because clearly Bianca is a star. They want her to be a star on the first show pay-per-view back they were going to keep her at that level now maybe she loses a SummerSlam or something like that but that's why i figured either way bianca was going to win because of the, the moment and the the wave she's on right now and throw in this uh change and it's very clear that bianca has to win we don't need to we don't need to spend much time on it but i just want to say the reason why i think bailey would have worked is because this of the stipulation because it creates a scenario in which she could cheat to win and the heel heat on Bailey would have been so great taking it off Belair that, God forbid, even if they did extend it one more month and have Belair win the title back at SummerSlam or have her fail to and the Money in the Bank person cashes in live at SummerSlam, it would have been a big moment. So I think there was reasons to possibly have Bailey win that match. And I'd love to know if she was supposed to or not. Uh, but I am guessing we will never find that out, at least not until maybe Bailey retires or leaves WWE and hopefully that never happens because she's one of the few there that really carries the water for the women's division. So let's move on to the other brand championship for the women, which will actually happen on the pay-per-view. We have Rhea Ripley defending the title against Charlotte Flair in a rematch from Hell in a Cell, a match that probably never should have happened in the first place. Now, Raw on Monday night, we had Ripley against Natalia in a non-title match. Ripley said the match was happening because she got challenged, that she exposed Flair last week, and it's going to give her a reason to use the crutches on Sunday. 
Ripley and Natalia in this match went at it. There were a ton of counters and reversals. It really made for a fun match. Natalia ducked a charging Ripley outside, so she ended up taking out Tamina accidentally. And I thought that was going to lead to an eventual DQ finish, but it didn't. There were a ton of great exchanges, near falls, almost submissions, including a sharpshooter where Natalia slapped Ripley in the face before locking it in. Ripley caught Natalia with a kick to the temple, followed by the Riptide, and she got the victory. This was a really good match that made Ripley look like a star. And I don't want this to be like a hot take or me exaggerating, but I think it was Ripley's best match on the main roster since she got called up to WWE. I think it was better than her matches with Asuka and Charlotte just because the fluidity, the chemistry that she had with Natalia really made this work. I can only imagine how much fun Natalia had wrestling someone like Ripley. I gave this 3.5 stars and a B because there were no low moments throughout the entire thing. It was all action and I was completely entertained. Yeah, very, very good match. And it's exactly what we just said a few minutes ago. There's no better way to get somebody over than having them win a competitive match. It makes everybody look better. It makes you look better in defeat. It makes you look better in victory. And that's exactly what Rhea Ripley has very, very much needed. I still don't quite understand the heel face dynamics of this whole thing because Natalia and Tamina, I'm not sure. Rhea Ripley, I'm not sure. Kind of all comes together, but as a match in itself, very, very good. And if you juxtapose this with the SmackDown tag team match, it shows the stark differential between yep. how the women are booked on both shows. Yep. Very simple. If that match was on SmackDown, it would have been three minutes and we would have been pissed off about it. After the match, Flair attacked Ripley, taking out her knee from behind and locking her in the figure four while hanging off the ring apron for extra leverage. She cut a quick promo backstage about learning from the dirtiest player in the game. This worked exceptionally well, and it was the best moment of the feud out of the last month, at least, considering the BS finish that we got at Hell in a Cell just to get us here. Every week was really lackluster in this feud, but this worked because we got a great match and a pretty hot go-home segment. So overall, I thought they did a good job in the go-home for the entire thing. And Chris, I'll kind of leave it up to you if you want to go first and tell me who you think is going to win this match at Money in the Bank. Yeah, well, well, first, if there's one thing Rhea and Charlotte can do very well, it's a go-home brawl because they had the pull-apart before the Hell in a Cell, right. which was uh, very good. This, this was the best thing between the two of them since then, so that was good. My pick here is going to be Charlotte. Um, this was my pick, I think, in the triple... Was it the triple threat? A, cu- a couple pay-per-views back. Rhea is just not... She's not comfortable in this position and again i'm not sure if she's a heel or a face i think she'll be she would be much better as the face chasing a champion heel charlotte i know charlotte has had a gazillion reigns and at this point you got to be careful of them because she's going to pass rick at some point and you want to make that mean something so she should only have limited uh wins title wins in the near future but i think charlotte should win this and go on for a pretty long Rain, I think, and I think it it would give you a chance to reset Rhea and figure out exactly what you want her to be. Because right now, I don't know, and I don't think she knows. Yeah, they've just kind of bungled Rhea Ripley since she got called up, and the circumstances were difficult with WrestleMania and them changing that women's match, basically at least in their booking, three different times. So it's been a kind of a false start for her, and I am in agreement that Flair should win and probably is going to win the title. In this match, I just don't know how that's going to be received 
And if people are going to be, I mean, I know they're going to boo her, right? Which they're supposed to because she's a heel. But it may be even beyond that. It may be just the the aggressiveness of how WWE books her, how many title reigns they give her. But if you look at the roster right now on Raw, and it may change soon if they do the draft immediately after SummerSlam. But outside of Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax, who we haven't seen on TV in weeks, there's really no other heels on Raw that would make sense to challenge Rhea Ripley. Again, that's even if she's a face. It's kind of tough to tell because it kind of changes week to week. She's almost in big show mode right now. Whereas if you have Flair win, not only do you have Asuka and Naomi, but you have Nikki Ash, who it seems to me is clearly being built to either win Money in the Bank, we'll talk about that in a minute, or be a upset face challenger, contender, possibly champion on the Raw side. So for all of those reasons, Chris, I go with Charlotte Flair as well. Let's move on to the women's Money in the Bank match. We have Asuka against Naomi, Nikki Ash, Alexa Bliss, Zelina Vega, Liv Morgan, announced Monday, Natalia, and one competitor still to be announced. So let's talk about what went down Monday on Raw. We had Alexa's playground early in the show. Eva Marie answered for Dewdrop every question that she got and took credit for all of their wins. This was worse than bad because it was pointless. It was clearly setting up a feud, but who cares? Dewdrop seemed to be more accepting of her name. That's obviously bad too. So there's just nothing really redeeming or entertaining about that backstage segment whatsoever. Yeah, I, I'm giving it a bad. I, I still think there's. Well, you don't have to grade it, but go for it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess I don't know. Whatever. It, it's different weird. It, it's it's um. I I like the start of the Eva Marie Dewdrop stuff. It, it feels like each week they're kind of tweaking what they want to do with it, whether or not they're going to feud or not. It's kind of starting and stopping. I don't know. I still think there's a lot of potential there, but uh, yeah, this was kind of whatever. So on Raw, we also had a fatal four-way women's match with the competitors in Money in the Bank. Eva and Dewdrop came out three minutes in and action just stopped. So Bliss could yell at Eva and then get dumped over the barricade by Dewdrop. And when the camera panned over, Bliss disappeared. I got really worried when I saw them come out. I'm like, oh my God, they're doing SmackDown women's booking. This thing's (laughs) going to end. Someone's going to get rolled up. This is a disaster. To my surprise, we go to commercial break, we come back, and we get a real, what ended up becoming a triple threat match. Naomi went on a run. She countered La Magistral into another pinning combination and almost submitted Nikki after that. Asuka caught Naomi with a code breaker on the ropes, then countered and reversed a bunch of moves, both of them, until Nikki trapped Asuka's legs behind her head for the win. The match got 14 minutes. We saw real wrestling with a strong finish. And I wasn't even mad Asuka lost because it made sense for Nikki Ash to win. So for me, this was a victory all around. Yep, totally. For, for the reasons you just said, for the reasons we have said several times on this show already. If you have the women do good matches for a longer period of time, everybody looks better and you're more accepting and more believing of the result. Now we're going to get into predictions for this match. But before we discuss those, I want to talk about the final entrant, yes. right? Because... There is one spot to fill, and my guess is that Natalia is filling into this match for the vacant spot created by Carmella. Meaning, right. if you rewind a week, right, and you think about how this was booked, the Melo was in the match, the assumption was that Liv would get in somehow, yeah. but there was always still going to be that one extra spot. Now, 
that spot could get filled Friday. If it's me, I'm waiting until Sunday. I fill it right before the match. I surprise the audience, potentially with whoever it is. These are the people I think that could fill that role. And I'm curious to know who you think will fill it. So you have Becky Lynch, who could return in that spot in Money in the Bank. Sasha Banks, who could make her return after we saw her the night after she lost the title after WrestleMania, and we haven't seen her since. Um, Tony Storm, who they've announced will be joining SmackDown. Mia Yim, who's on the brand, but I mean, they haven't mentioned her once since she got moved to SmackDown, and I'd be a little bit surprised if she showed up. Sonya Deville, who could insert herself into the match in that final spot. Or lastly, Carmella, who's competing obviously on Friday and could certainly lose, we predict her to lose to Bianca Belair. And considering Sonya inserted her into the match in the first place, she could just insert her into the match again. So I think that's the list. If there's anyone else out of left field that you think I missed, please share. Yes, but you missed one and I'm excited to talk. Go about for it. Again. Tell me who you okay. think it's going to be so, if you well, think it's that person. First off, I, I think it's most likely going to be Becky or Sasha for the reasons that you said. Okay. But if it's not one of those two, I want it to be Eva Marie because the reaction she will get <laughs> from people who think it's Sasha. I mean, this is if you keep it a surprise. But she's a if Raw keep, superstar. This is a SmackDown spot. Let's I'm, I'm just, I Figure it out. I'm just saying, <laughs> okay. if you get to Sunday and you, and you do the entrances and you save the last one, people are going to think Sasha or Becky. And then Eva Marie comes out. She's going to get so much heat. And I would love that if that happens. And that's assuming somebody else who is already in the match is, is going to win. It, my, it, it's most likely, I think, Sasha or Becky. I hope they keep it for a surprise. Um, I know it's supposed to be a SmackDown, so maybe we figure it out this week. But if I'm booking the territory and, I'm, and it's not Becky or Sasha, I'm leaning into making you think it's that and then giving you Eva Marie just because I think it would be incredible. So... If it's WWE was booking this situation in any other scenario, except the first pay-per-view with full fans back as they're going back to touring, (laughs) I would have said Carmella (laughs) because it's very trite and typical to have someone lose Friday and then end up in that match, similar to Becky Lynch losing the title at Royal Rumble and then inserting herself into the Royal Rumble match. And it's happened myriad times in WWE across the men's division, women's division, et cetera. But because it's not a situation where this is just a Thunderdome pay-per-view or Performance Center or, you know, typical WWE a couple of years ago, and because they need to make a big bang, I do think it's going to be either Becky or Sasha Banks. If it's me booking it, I don't think I, I don't want to use the word waste. I don't think I bring Becky Lynch back as a surprised entrant in Money in the Bank which is a match that she probably shouldn't win because she doesn't need Money in the Bank to challenge for the title. So therefore, she doesn't really need to be in the match. Now that said, there is an interesting parallel, even though it's a little bit different, but there's an interesting parallel to last year where she rescinded the title. She gave up the title the night after Money in the Bank because of her pregnancy and the briefcase that Asuka won ended up having her title in it. And now one year later, she returns at Money in the Bank. That does make a lot of sense. But if I have to pick, I go with Sasha Banks and I think they save the Becky Lynch return. I personally, everyone talks about her coming back on Fridays for SmackDown because Seth Rollins is there and I totally 100% get that. 
But I have to believe she's coming back to Raw. And I think she shows up Monday night on Raw after Money in the Bank. You think she shows up on a Monday after that's The reason is because this draft is coming up. I think it's only a couple weeks well, where I, I keep her and seeing Seth are on different shows. I don't know about the draft more. because I keep seeing reports that it's getting pushed back as far as October now. So I, I, I don't know. I think she debuts the week after Money in the Bank, whether it's Monday or Friday. Let me put it that way. Well, okay. Because it may not be raw. You're right. Would Would you put her in the match? Would you put her in the Money in the Bank women's match and have her lose? Or do you think if she's in, she has to win because the fans won't accept If she's in, she has to win. Yeah. yeah. If it, so if it's if it's not one of those two, of the seven that we know, who would you pick outside of that? Well, that's the thing. So I want to break down the picks and predictions for these matches. By the way, who do you actually think is going to be this person? Becky or Sasha? Um... I'm wondering if I convinced you because I think you were leaning Becky. I, I, I'm, I mean, I, I don't know what Sasha's deal is. She's obviously not hurt. I mean, no, she was also, training and she's. I think she's ready. Yeah. To go, yeah. So, so I, I don't know. It, it feels like it's most likely her. I really, really want it to be Becky. I'm just, I'm gonna pick Becky just because that's what I want. That's fine. So the way I want to break these two matches down is the best choice to win, the worst choice to win, and then who we think is going to win. And that's usually what we do for Royal Rumble. We'll do that yeah. here as well. So the best choice to win this match is Liv Morgan. I think there's something mm. to be said for Nikki Ash winning it. But Liv is, the, the storyline makes more sense with Liv. What they've done, Sonya Deville holding her back, people not respecting her and giving her a chance. And Nikki, I don't think, needs money in the bank when she's beating people without it. She's winning matches. She's won like, four of her last five matches with La Magistral and pinning combinations and a ton of different things. Whereas Liv Morgan's winning three-minute matches over on SmackDown. And I think you need to actually boost her because I should also say, we talk about this all the time on the podcast, but I'd be remiss if I didn't when we talk about Money in the Bank. What is most, there's two things that are super important about the Money in the Bank briefcase to me. Number one is that the briefcase goes to someone who will be elevated by it. You do not need to put it on a Brock Lesnar or an Asuka in this case, or a Becky Lynch or a Sasha Banks or a Drew McIntyre. You need to put it on people like Naomi, Nikki Ash, Zelina Vega, Liv Morgan, Carmella, maybe if she's in it, even though she's been championed before. Those are the types of people who need to be getting the briefcase. And then you need to have a storyline with the briefcase and utilize it. You don't have to use it all year, but... If you want to do a cash in night of or one month later at SummerSlam, that's okay. You can do it for one of them. But you should at least have one of the two money in the bank briefcases last for an extended period of time on a person who is a legitimate threat to take the title. That's why it was so successful with Ziggler and with Seth Rollins and with some other people and why it was not successful with someone like Otis or Brock Lesnar or guys. It's just, there are so many bad ways to make money in the bank happen. And we've seen them all from WWE in the last like three or four years. They need to get back to basics about what the briefcase is about. And again, that's elevating someone and giving them something to do outside of the title picture for a short period of time until they eventually become champions. So again, best case scenario for me, it's either Nikki Ash or Liv Morgan. I live, I lean, I'm sorry, Liv Morgan. The worst case scenario would obviously be Natalia because she just doesn't need it. But yeah. if we're talking about people who actually could win it, 
the worst case scenario would be Alexa Bliss. So before we get to our prediction, that's my best and worst case scenario. What about you? Well, first off, you mentioned last year, while talking about things that WWE did good in the pandemic era, last year's Money in the Bank, climbing the corporate ladder, the men and women at the same time, that was a really fun match. I know you didn't like Otis winning, and we had a whole thing about that. Terrible. But the match was really fun. I thought they, that was a really creative way to do the match, so that was fun last year. Best to win it is tough, because I'm not big on any of them really being in a position of these nine, I do not think Liv Morgan is anywhere near the level to be able to do that. And I think the fact that they're only giving her three minute matches on SmackDown is they're giving her a storyline and a push though. I mean, they're giving her a storyline, but it's, it's, it feels like a minor storyline to get into the match. If I had to pick best, I guess Nikki, I want to say Nikki Ash, but I feel like Nikki Ash isn't the character that would get Nikki Cross to the level that I think she can be. Does she does she cash in and try to win the championship as this weird superhero thing? That doesn't I don't know. That feels weird. I, I guess. Of the of the of the seven. I'd love to see it on Naomi and really, truly elevate her back to that main event women's spot, because I feel like she's not really there because we haven't seen much of her for a year plus now so yeah if i had to go best of these i'd say naomi worst would be same as you said natalia because she didn't need it and uh, or alexa bliss because i've just not been a big fan of her singles character run here at the Bray Wyatt deal. It's just sh- shoving the briefcase on that character. It's so unnecessary. Yeah. yeah. It, it would be so bad. Natalia is just in the match. Like, you know, she got thrown in for booking reasons. So we know she's not going to win. So we're aligned with Bliss being the worst case scenario. You're going with Naomi for best case scenario. And I'm going with, I think I said Liv Morgan for best case scenario. I actually do believe that Liv Morgan's going to win it. I just think mm. the booking of the entire thing is to give her that opportunity. I agree with you that she's a little bit rough around the edges still. Now, her in-ring ability has improved massively. I can't tell. We we don't get much time to see it. Before this, when she was teaming with Ruby and getting matches, um, when she first came back and was in those feuds on Raw, like at the beginning of the pandemic, you could see that she was really improving. But yes, she hasn't been given the opportunity to actually show it in the ring having the Money in the Bank briefcase forces them to basically use her and put her front and center. My one concern with Liv Morgan winning the briefcase is she's not the strongest promo. And generally, when someone has the briefcase, you want them to be a strong promo. But this match, I gotta say, it's not the most inspiring. And that's not to say that the women's division is bad or the women in this match are bad. I'm not saying that. But it is really lacking the star power that you would expect from a women's money in the bank match. And even, even adding a Sasha Banks to it or a Becky Lynch to it, potentially, it still feels like it's just a step or two lower than other ones that we've seen in the past. So I'm not particularly excited for this match, but yeah, if I have to come up with a prediction, I do think Liv Morgan's going to come out with it. My pick is Sasha or Becky, whoever is the, the final person um, to do that. And and I, 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 I think it sets up a Bianca versus Sasha or Bianca versus Becky at SummerSlam, which is something they're going to want on the marquee. 
it won't be a cash and it'll be I'm I'm going to cash in at SummerSlam. Let's have our match. The John Cena route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the way they go. And it makes sense for either of those two characters to do it because they don't need to sneak their way into something like that. But you mentioned the star, the lack of star power. It is there is a real lack of, of uh, a women's mid card because I, I mean, you don't have in this at the moment. Becky, Sasha, Bailey, Charlotte, Rhea, Bianca, Carmella. That's a pretty deep group of seven right there, but they're all either injured or out or involved mm-hmm. in another uh, another thing. So this is a, like you said, can they develop the next crop there kind of with, with this money in the bank, with this match? I mean, I mean, there's a real chance for a lot of them, a lot of the women in here to really show out and, and make a, I don't make a name for themselves. Uh, in, in this for, for the reasons that you said, but in the end, I think they end up giving it to a, a Sasha or a Becky. If, if either one of them is the, uh, is the, uh, the, the final entrant. That hurts me because you, you're almost ignoring my rule. Number one, which is putting the briefcase on someone who will benefit say from it, will, it and need, I know I, I, I agree. Like putting it on Becky is a, is to me equivalent Almost to putting it on Brock Lesnar because th- th- this she does who's... not. If, if you want to put yeah. Becky Lynch in a title match with Bianca Belair at SummerSlam, you know what you do? You have Becky show up and say, hey, Bianca, great work against Bailey, Carmella and Sasha Banks. I'm challenging you at SummerSlam. And by the way, I'm the number one contender because I never lost the title and because I'm Becky F. Lynch. I totally agree. That's all you I'm... need. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I'm just telling you this is what I think is going to happen. No, of course. I'm just, I'm saying it hurts my soul that you think that's what's going to happen because it, maybe it does, right? Like maybe that's what WWE actually does. And that would really upset me. I'm sure the moment would be exciting. Don't get me wrong. Becky Lynch climbing the ladder, winning money in the bank in her return. The first pay-per-view in front of a live crowd, uh, you know, with the return to touring. Yes, all of that. Super exciting. Don't get me wrong. It would be a huge, awesome moment. I would pop in the moment. Is it the best booking decision? No, the no. best booking decision is putting it on Ava Marie. So I'm excited. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the men's side of this pay per view. Uh, we'll move to the newly announced match for the show. It was supposed to be next Monday on Raw. Instead, on Money in the Bank, the Raw Tag Team Championships on the line: AJ Styles and Omos against the Viking Raiders. This replaced the SmackDown Women's Championship match basically on the card, and I'm glad to see it on the show because. Styles hasn't fought on a pay-per-view since WrestleMania and the Raiders deserve the spotlight as well because they're super talented. Like if you've ever seen them in NXT or Hmm. New Japan, you know that their ceiling as a tag team in WWE is incredibly high if given the opportunity. Backstage, Ivar and Eric, they cut an extended promo. I thought it was easily the best mic work they've done on Raw. They talked about forcing people to respect Viking culture and not just see them as brutes, I was pleasantly surprised. And now I actually have a little bit of cautious optimism for them. And then we had AJ Styles cut a promo in the ring. That was just okay. We had two singles matches as previously announced. AJ Styles against Ivar. These guys had a super fun short match. Ivar got a ton of offense in, and he caught Styles with a seated senton. I think it was off the middle rope for a pinfall in the corner. And then Omas against Eric was the second match. Eric and Cavefabe was a total idiot for trying to like lift and move Omas rather than <laughs> chop him down and like use his, I guess, speed, even though Eric's a big guy, to get around him, take out his knees. Omas grabbed Eric. He had a double choke bomb for the finish. Honestly, the four segments I just read, I thought they were all a pleasant surprise. They created momentum for the title match, especially with it moved up one night from Raw. I personally think 
AJ Styles and Omos are going to retain. I don't see any reason to take the titles off them when you have RK-Bro waiting in the wings for SummerSlam. Massive pop if they beat AJ Styles and Omos. But I do think that this is going to be a really fun and exciting match. Yeah, no, this is normally I hate the oh two singles matches leading into the tag team match because you're kind of giving it away. But we've seen so few of these guys. and They haven't actually been in the ring together that it was still fresh and it will still feel fresh on Sunday. Omos has something like he he has the intangibles. I think he has a feel for this. He has the thing. This was his first singles match ever, and it was a perfectly fine match. It was perfectly serviceable. Not nothing great, but for for a big guy with his background, without much wrestling experience, he only started his first matches two, three months ago. He has I think he has what you can't teach, but what he doesn't yet have is what you can't teach. And that will come with time, the wrestling ability. But he has a great sense of timing. He has a great sense of of facial expressions and, and things like that. So I'm really, really high on him. I love this tag team. I hated that we went like a month after WrestleMania without them. Mm-hmm. I think I, I'm really excited to see the crowd see him when, when almost tags in again, because that was a really cool moment at WrestleMania. Um, uh, so these were really fun singles matches on, on Raw. And I think, yeah, AJ and, and Omos uh, retain. But I, I think it'll be a really fun match because I think we got two fun matches on Monday. So let's move over to the men's money in the bank match. Drew McIntyre against Riddle. Ricochet, John Morrison, Big E, Kevin Owens, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Seth Rollins. There's only two heels in that entire uh, field. And when you look at the women's match as well, there's only one or two, depending what you think Natalia is right now. So two face-heavy matches for Money in the Bank. There's a bunch of stuff that happened uh, leading into this. So let's start on SmackDown. We had Shinsuke Nakamura against Baron Corbin in a qualifier match. Corbin still had his hair and patchy beard growing out. He said winning Money in the Bank is the only chance he has to turn his life around. Nakamura and Rick Boogs bought his Mercedes G-Wagon cheap at auction, they showed. It was perfect. Uh, Biggie and Pat McAfee sat on a couch with their feet in foot baths. Uh, the entire pre-match popped me, and the Shodan fraud with Corbin really works. The only thing I hate is they're saddling Shinsuke with the name King Nakamura, they always force those things and it just pisses yeah. me off. Yes, yes. Um, as far as the match goes, Corbin took out Boogs and suplexed Nakamura into the announce table. He hit deep six for a near fall, but Nakamura got him in a triangle choke. Then he countered Kinshasa with a lariat, but Nakamura caught him with some knees and a Kinshasa to win and qualify for money in the bank. And the storyline now is that Corbin has hit rock bottom. I actually think it was the longest match and the strongest match of their feud, which must actually end now, please, for the love of God. But it all worked for me. Between the two, I guess Nakamura was the right person to be inside the Money in the Bank ladder match. But honestly, I didn't think either of them should have been in the match. Yeah, probably. I I mean, I said last week, I I thought this was really leaning toward double turn between them really ripping into... Corbin for everything he's losing and, and Nakamura going over the top with his celebration with him and Boogs. And that continued this week, except like Big E joined in it, on it as well and commentary kind of make jokes and it didn't feel like they were telling us to feel bad for Corbin this time around. The promo Corbin cut backstage beforehand. 
was not good. It felt like a WWE promo. It was like, I've lost my car and I've lost this. Right. I don't think I'm going to do that. And it was like, I didn't feel it like I felt it last week. So I don't know what this means. I like that he didn't come out with music. I, I guess he's so poor he can't afford his music. I don't know. <laughs> but but um, it, put Nakamura in, fine. I, I, I think you could have flipped some matches on SmackDown to make it a little bit more interesting. But um, yeah, it was kind of whatever like you said please no more of this yeah between these two also on smackdown we had seth rollins versus cesaro in another rematch yes. qualifier Th- this was the one to flip this you could have flipped flipped this. them and, easily and then you nakamura, get and nakamura and cesaro, cesaro yeah nakamura cesaro or something like that well you, you do nakamura against rollins rollins wins and then you have cesaro corbin cesaro wins and those they well, both get in the match well, if, okay, you do. I meant if you're going to have the same two people advance. Either way, you gotcha. could have done something different. Yeah. Yeah, no, right. And really, all four matches, all four qualifying matches were rematches. And they could have all been mixed up and different people could have gone in, or even the same people could have gotten in. That's the frustrating part. Uh, Cesaro reversed the Falcon Arrow into an awesome vertical suplex over the ropes outside. Rollins ripped off the turnbuckle pad and countered Cesaro's springboard corkscrew uppercut. With a forearm, Cesaro found the exposed turnbuckle on a hurricanrana, got busted open on his head. Rollins got a couple of near falls, and he kept hitting Cesaro with the forearm to the back of the head, which is Karrion Cross's terrible new finisher. But now Rollins is just doing it, just like Nia Jax was doing Raquel Gonzalez's choke bomb finisher. I don't get why they're doing that. Uh, but anyway, he tried to get three separate countouts, but Cesaro broke them all. And then he had one last gasp of offense, a hope spot, but Rollins hit the stomp for the clean win. The match was really good, but it wasn't spectacular necessarily. But the finish to this, I thought, Chris, was incredibly well done. I loved Rollins using the countout strategically and Cesaro getting that late spot before the stomp. So he didn't just come into the ring on the countout and get the stomp. He actually got a little bit more offense in. I went 3.5 stars and a B for this. I thought it was the best WWE match of the last week, and they both did a great job. You know, we just said Corbin and Nakamura probably had their best match of their feud. And it's probably the same for Rollins and Cesaro mm, here. The Mania this match was, was better than this. Maybe. But this is the the blood. It uh, you can you can tell why blading became a thing in pro wrestling. It adds a lot to the drama of a match. And it really did here. Commentary did a great job of saying Cesaro couldn't see. And that's kind of what cost him at the end. So great, uh, great work by Cole and and McAfee there. Um, so yeah, this was really, really good. I, I mean, like I said, we could have seen something else, but if they're going to give us the same thing, at least make it good. And they did. Yeah. I just, I love the booking of that finish. I thought it was really smartly. Done. Yeah. Uh, the only negative to the whole thing is Cesaro has now lost consecutive matches to Rollins, which completely unspools that main event push that he had. So that's over now. He's back in yes. the mid card. We're looking for another tag team partner, which I which I said last week or the week before. It seemed pretty clear that they're not on him the way they were. And yeah, this kind of seemed to confirm it. And for me, we're looking at this match and neither Cesaro nor Sami Zayn are in. And it, for me, at least one, if not both, should have gotten in. We really do not need Nakamura in this. I love Shinsuke. Don't get me wrong. We really don't need Kevin Owens in this. I love Kevin Owens. Don't get me wrong. But I just think having Sami Zayn and Cesaro along with Biggie and Rollins, would have made for a more exciting SmackDown side of Money in the Bank. So I was a little bit disappointed to see neither of them in this. Uh, let's move over to Raw. We'll wrap this up before we get to our predictions. We had Ricochet and John Morrison in a Falls Count Anywhere match, the culmination of a three-match feud. Riddle said he'd accompany Ricochet to the ring. 
There were some jokes about Westerns. Then Morrison called them splash holes and ran over Riddle's foot with Mrs. Wheelchair. Uh, as far as the match, Morrison hit a neckbreaker through the ropes onto the ring apron, which was really inventive. Ricochet came back with a 450 off the barricade to the floor for a near fall. Then he hit an insane Escalera shooting star press off the ring post outside. Then yeah. he came back with a tope cannonball over the ropes and Mrs. Wheelchair for a near fall. Ricochet pushed Mrs. Wheelchair down the ramp. A drip stick shot distracted Ricochet, but he kicked out of two near falls. Riddle then rode down on the scooter. He tipped Mrs. Wheelchair over and Ms. and Riddle both acted like turtles on the ground, unable to get up, which was hysterical. Ricochet caught Morrison flying with a recoil. Then he splashed him through a ladder that was propped up between the ring and the announce table for the win. It was great that they put Ricochet over, as we hoped they would in the finality of this feud. The match was dope as hell, even if it was a total spot fest. And it was a really good tease for Money in the Bank with the ladder spot at the end. Without the silliness, I probably would have gone a little bit higher, but I still went 3.5 stars and a B also for this one. It was just a ton of fun and a great way to promote Money in the Bank. It was another one of those things where I said, man, could we have saved this for Raw next week? Because I don't think either these guys are winning this match. So (laughs) this match would have torn down uh, American Airlines Center in Dallas uh, if it happened. But yeah, again, Prince Puma and and uh, Johnny Mundo do have great matches together. We 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 know this. One one thing that kind of annoyed me was the initial live camera shot of both of Ricochet's big moves, the shooting star press off the post and then the final thing through the ladder. You got no sense of you got no sense of like the height and how far he was going until they show you a replay is kind of annoying. Something WWE always does cuz they have too many cameras and too many camera cuts. But Yeah, this was awesome between these guys. I could see these guys fight forever. And it's been really, really cool to see Morrison getting shine these last few weeks with Miz out, uh, obviously, for for quite a while. I hope we can continue to to treat Morrison as a legitimate threat. And I know we've said the previous couple weeks that Miz kind of got in the way of these two, but I think this was a good way to use him. It, it, It added to the match this time around having Miz there, being involved in various things. So great stuff all around. I, I No one getting hurt is a good thing. I want to clarify my statement before I say this. But Miz being injured is honestly a blessing in disguise because they overuse Miz. Not that they overpush him necessarily because he loses plenty, but they put him in so many things so frequently that it really makes it difficult for other people to breathe. And without him being able to wrestle, as you just said, Morrison is being able to shine. I don't know if we get that three match series, we get that feud, we get Morrison in the money no in the bank match. No, way. if Miz is healthy. Right. So I just no fa- I yeah. found it to be really super exciting. And I'm happy that Morrison's getting this rub. He still has, you know, every ability out there. Um, and it's great. You're right. So let's move on and give our uh, predictions, our best case scenario, our worst case scenario and our actual prediction for money in the bank. So I'm going to break it down like this. First of all, the easy worst case scenario is Drew McIntyre winning yes. money in the bank. And I'm just going to repeat yeah. the people in the match, okay? Drew McIntyre, Riddle, Ricochet, John Morrison, Biggie, Kevin Owens, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Seth Rollins. And I cut you off there, but I think you're in agreement with me on that. Yes, also it's King Nakamura. 
Shinsuke Nakamura. He's the king of strong style <laughs> is what I will call him. But look, uh, to what I said earlier about having Lesnar win or Becky Lynch or even Sasha Banks, you do not need to have people win money in the bank when they're already established as main eventers. The goal is to elevate someone and help them get over over an extended period of time. So Drew McIntyre, far and away, would be the worst case scenario to win this match, and that has nothing against Drew McIntyre. The best case scenario to win this match, I'm just kind of reading these as I'm going over again, is Biggie because you had him with a long intercontinental championship run. He lost the title to Apollo Crews in the Nigerian drum match, I think it was, or maybe yes. Cruz retained in that match, or I don't even remember. The, the storyline lasted so long, it's tough to like remember where he actually lost the title. But he did lose the title eventually to Apollo Cruz, and they've been feuding ever since. They had 10 matches in a row um, on SmackDown over the last 15 weeks. He needs to break away from the mid-card. He needs to break away from Apollo Cruz, and we need to see that WWE is invested in Big E becoming a main eventer that we all want and know he can be. And when you look at everyone else in this match, Nakamura having money in the bank, it's unnecessary. Kevin Owens is established as a main eventer. He doesn't need it, but you could make a case for him. John Morrison made zero sense for him to win money in the bank, especially after Miz basically just carried it or was in the storyline with Otis for the entire year. Ricochet, it would be nice to believe in a world in which they would give it to him, but I just don't think we see that as a possibility. And Riddle would be a fantastic person to win Money in the Bank, but he's currently involved in a tag team storyline and they've given him an out with the injured foot, which I'm sure will factor into the match. And then lastly, you have Seth Rollins, who the only reason, Chris, why he would be a better winner for Money in the Bank than Drew McIntyre, despite himself being an established main eventer, is this guy has not cleanly won a feud where it's not been at least 50-50, which the Cesaro thing is at least 50-50. He has not won a feud in what feels like two years at this point. So it's not that he's no longer a main eventer, but he doesn't need money in the bank to be a main eventer. So it would slightly be wasted on him. So for me, the best case scenario by a pretty good margin is Big E. And I think WWE knows that. So my prediction to win the money in the bank briefcase is indeed Big E. Okay. Well, we actually have the same pick. I thought you were going to pick Riddle. and He has an out. He does. He does. But I know we're all thinking Riddle, RK-Bro, go for the tag belts, win him at SummerSlam. That works. It definitely works at maybe what they're doing. I think that'd work really well. I just have in the back of my mind this, 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 this fantasy booking where Riddle's going up for the belt Randy slides in, pulls him off, RKO's him off the ladder, and then Biggie wins, and we get Riddle versus Randy at SummerSlam. That's probably too early. Oh, to that's too like early. That. RK Bro's over. I know, but I just I've had it in the, in my mind as a possibility. So I don't know, keep an eye out. But but otherwise, I'm actually I have the same pick. I I, I think Biggie wins it here. I I could see Kevin Owens doing it because man, he is over with the live crowds. Totally, and 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 and. People would go nuts if he wins it. It, you, it would make perfect sense for him going after Reigns. Maybe he he beats Roman, uh, cashes in on Roman at some point and wins it either at SummerSlam or right after SummerSlam, and then Roman wins it back the next month or something like that. Um, at the possibility, but uh, got to make a pick. I'm actually going to go with Big E as well. 
Big meaty man slapping meat. <laughs> I want to see a big meaty man that has a lot of beef. There's a lot of beef out here. A lot of beef become the new money in the bank holder. And that would be candidly two big meaty men in a row, even though Otis was the worst money in the bank winner of all time last year. But we are aligned on Biggie being the best case scenario and our pick. I think you said he's the best case scenario. Is that right? Yeah. 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 And our pick and Drew McIntyre being the worst case scenario. So let's move on to the two world championship matches. We'll start on the raw side, the WWE title, Bobby Lashley against Kofi Kingston. So Raw on Monday started with Lashley against Xavier Woods in a non-title match. Excuse me, Xavier Woods. I know he likes the X and the Z in there, um, or the sound at least. They avoided this rematch last week, but they gave it to us anyway this week, and they had it open the show. And I was a little PO'd about that. I was just like, why are they doing this again? This doesn't really make any sense. Lashley already beat his ass inside Hell in a Cell. Well, they proved me wrong before I could even really spit those words out on this podcast. Lashley dominated for a good while, sure, but Woods got a big run, including a missile dropkick and a crossface that Lashley easily broke with a side slam. Lashley hit the almighty spinebuster and a dominator, but he didn't cover as he taunted Kofi. He followed with a spear, and then Woods caught him out of nowhere with an inside cradle for the upset win. This was a good 15-minute match with a truly surprising finish given it was a go-home show to Money in the Bank, and WWE beat its champion in the opener of the (laughs) go-home show. Lashley's post-match reaction, including leaving the building with commentary selling, he now has doubt in his mind. I thought it was perfect. It also makes me think, why wouldn't Woods get a WWE title match next week on Raw even in front of a crowd with fans if Kofi Kingston ends up losing the match? on Sunday. To me, it also a little bit telegraphed what's going to happen on Sunday. But before we move on, I want to know what you thought about this opening segment and the decision to have Woods beat Lashley like this. Yeah, I was surprised it was the opener, like you said, because I was like, well, what is what is the main event of the show? We'll, we'll see. And then it happens. I'm like, whoa, that's weird. And my anytime a champion gets pinned in a non-title match, part of me rolls my eyes and says, oh, they pinned the champion, blah, 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 like they do all the time. But Bobby immediately sold the hell out of this. Right. That he was indeed losing confidence and he doubted himself. And that wasn't just commentary saying it. That wasn't just MVP. That was on Bobby's face because Xavier and and Kofi leave. And Bobby's just standing there kind of looking around and looking down and not really sure what to make of himself. It wasn't, oh, I'm mad. I'm going to get you back. It was a guy who doesn't know what the hell just happened. And he sold the hell out of it. And that was really interesting. And then they said he left the building. And I'm thinking, well, this is weird. And it it, it kept my interest curious how it was going to play out the rest of the show. Yeah, they did a fantastic job with all of that, as you just said. And Lashley in particular was good, not just in that segment, but of course, the entire night. Uh, the next thing that happened was Lucha House Party was backstage congratulating Woods on his win. And New Day cut a promo about underestimating them to a fault and Kofi going ahead and winning the title at Money in the Bank. And I kept thinking, shouldn't Xavier Woods want a shot considering he just beat the WWE champion? Shouldn't he have maybe said to Kofi, hey man, I cannot wait for you to win that title, but when you do, we're going to have a match on Monday. 
Like, mm-hmm. shouldn't he have said something to that degree? He never did. And that was really the last thing that we saw of Kofi and Xavier Woods on Raw. I just thought that was a little bit of a missing piece. Yeah, Xavier's been really great in this feud. He was the Hell in a Cell match was great. He's put on really good matches and he he's been good. But you also you wanted him to you want him to kind of get out of that cartoon character a little bit and make that exact point. Like, okay, I deserve a title shot here. And and and, and kind of something like that. So I mean he could still say it next week. I mean we we can still go through with it. But um yeah, at some point, yeah, he deserves he he deserves a title shot now by WWE rules. By which their is rules. If you, if you pin the champion in a non-title match, you get a title shot. It's essentially an unwritten rule. It yeah, it basically is, and you're 100 percent right about that. I mean it's that's why I do expect that if Lashley retains, I would expect that to come either this Monday or the following Monday in front of fans. And that's a big booking for a, a Raw. So that would work totally fine if that is what ends up happening. One more thing really quickly before we move on. Uh, he posted on Twitter, Xavier Woods, an amazing mock uh, music video with Usher where it's like a call and response type of thing. Just go watch it. And he said he revealed during this little fun Twitter video that he hit a shining wizard on Lashley during the match and production cut it out for an unknown reason. So yeah, because this was a taped episode of Raw. It was a taped episode of Raw. So that's super weird. I'm assuming they cut it for time. That's a big move in a finish to a match. So that's very strange that they ended up cutting it out. Uh, But nevertheless, let's move on to the main event segment of Raw, which was the VIP lounge. It took three different tries for MVP to get Lashley out to the ring. And when he did, Lashley was only wearing his vest with a loose button down shirt and a tie just hanging off of him, looking really upset and disheveled. He told all the ladies to leave. Lashley said Kofi was right about MVP, causing him to lose his edge and get soft. Lashley said this bullshit needs to stop, which is a sound drop that we need for this podcast, by the way, (laughs) and we will try to find. He also said that he wants to focus now on beating the shit out of people. Lashley tore apart the entire VIP lounge set, including throwing a loveseat clean out of the ring. And he then he told Kofi that he was basically going to kill him and end his career in front of his friends, family, and the WWE universe. I thought the next thing he was going to do was attack MVP and lay him out. Yeah. But he yeah. didn't. MVP sold the intimidation. He stood in the corner. They didn't break up. And it was a hell of a unique go-home segment that definitely leads me to question a few things. First of all, what's going to happen on Sunday? Second of all, is it possible this leads to the reformation of the hurt business because if they're going to get back to business and get back to killing people, well, that's when Lashley was the most dominant when he had the hurt business by his side. So I'm wondering about all these things. So Chris don't without giving your prediction first, but you can give it at the end if you want. Did this change your mind on what you think is going to happen Sunday at money in the bank? It it doesn't change my thoughts on who's going to win. But as this played out, I thought it was going to be a breakup with MVP too. And part of me was like, no, I don't want to see this. These guys have been great together. But a part of me was like, Bobby's killing this. And he killed it earlier in the episode. He's been doing more and more promo work. If he goes out on his own, I think I have faith in him to carry things because he's been doing a really, really good job. Um, and the only thing I would have changed about the segment was I don't even know you I don't even know if you can actually do this. 
but I would have had Bobby tear apart the Thunderdome. It was the go home. They couldn't because it was taped before SmackDown. But yes. Oh, was right. it? Oh, I didn't actually know that. Yeah, okay. but you're right, well, though, it, in theory. It, in theory. Yes. Him tearing down. I, I was, I'm not saying throw the couch into the fake crowd and you break the. Oh, no, I think you should have done exactly that. that. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know if you can actually do, but just something like that. I think would have added to it even more because he's throwing things, but it's all going in the same direction. And holy crap, he picked up a whole freaking couch and tossed it. But it would have just added a little bit more if he could have torn down the Thunderdome as like a also as like a goodbye. I think that would have been a killer, killer, memorable moment. But it was still really good. And Bobby Lashley looks great. I did not think about reuniting the Hurt Business. Now that you say it, I hope that's what happens. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I would love it. But what what it told me was maybe Bobby's going to go on his own. Maybe he wins, but maybe he beats up MVP. And maybe because they're going back touring, I don't know if MVP wants to do a whole touring schedule. I don't know. Um, but but um, my first thought was Bobby on his own. But if it's her business, I'm all for that. Yeah, so for me, this actually kind of changed what I think is going to happen on Sunday. Because we talked about it on this podcast, right? We've been talking about it for a couple of months. And this is before the Kofi Kingston, Bobby Lashley storyline really picked up and seemed to be the clear direction for Money in the Bank. I said, hey, you know, when fans are coming back, what can you do to pop the crowd? And reigniting a a Kofi Kingston, you know, run, Kofi Mania type of run, whether you have him win the Money in the Bank briefcase and cash it in, and he could cash it in on a Lashley or if Lesnar returns and wins the title, you know, Kofi could give him a taste of his own medicine and cash it in on Lesnar. Or if they even did a title match with Lashley, Kofi could just beat Lashley and the crowd would pop immensely for it. And I was going to come into this show and pick Kofi Kingston winning the WWE Championship because when you look at the rest of our predictions, you know, the Money in the Bank winners can pop the crowd, no doubt. But we think the Raw Tag Team titles are going to stay. We think a heel is going to win the Raw Women's Championship. And we think Bianca Belair is going to just re- re- retain the title. In fact, that's not even at Money in the Bank anymore, right? So that, that's not even happening. And I think we both have a pretty similar prediction, we'll see, for what the main event of the show is going to be, Roman Reigns against Edge. So I thought this was a moment where you make the fans super freaking happy and you have Kofi Kingston win the title here. But what do we know is true? That WWE basically counterbooks on the go-home show. And what they told us on the go-home show is that Xavier Woods beat Bobby Lashley and that Lashley's now questioning whether he can get it done. And he's tearing apart the set and he's now ruthless and going to murder someone. And I don't know that you have Lashley come out and cut one of his best promos in WWE, maybe his best promo since returning to WWE, and then just have him lose to Kofi Kingston at Money in the Bank. (laughs) So I was going to pick Kofi. I was, truly to win the WWE Championship here. We talked about it on this podcast for a long time. I thought it was a very smart decision if WWE did it. But now, I don't. Now I believe Bobby Lashley is going to retain the title at Money in the Bank. My pick was always Bobby, and it still is Bobby, because he is a megastar that Vince adores, and that's exactly who you want as a champion going into SummerSlam. And if it's if Brock comes back, if there's, you know, the rumored matches for, you know, part timers at SummerSlam, 
I understand wanting to have Bobby Lashley in that spot. Um, I love the idea of Kofi winning. I would love to him love for him to have a second run, but I never really thought it was going to happen here. Kind of given the way things have uh, been playing out. And I think the way Monday happened tells you, yeah, either, either Lashley does lose and freaks out and you know, goes on a rampage of some kind. I don't know. He could yeah, do that Monday. He could go on a rampage Monday. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I agree. I think, I think Bobby uh, wins this and in the way Monday played out, I think further cemented that. Yeah. And I think we get Xavier Woods with a title match either this Monday or the following Monday. Um, so he does get that opportunity with Lashley. Lashley beats him. And then you develop your number one contender for SummerSlam, however you end up doing that. So I think that is all going to be extremely interesting. But let us move on to what we expect to be the main event of this show, the Universal Championship on the line. Your tribal chief, my tribal chief, the tribal chief, Roman Reigns, defending the title against Edge. As always, a lot went down on SmackDown. Let's get to it. And then we'll talk about the match. Uh, Paul Heyman stopped Jimmy Uso from entering Reigns' locker room in the cold open, and Jimmy gave him a stink eye as he walked away. Reigns then walked to the ring from gorilla position. And Chris, I don't know, I tweeted about this. Did you see the WWE refer to him on their Chiron as a former NFL player? Yes. That may be the greatest exaggeration in WWE history. (laughs) Roman Reigns, I love the guy. Joe Inouye, he's a great wrestler. He was a very damn good college football player who maybe should have gotten a shot in the NFL. He was in training camp for like a week, got diagnosed, you know, unfortunately with leukemia, recovered from it best he could, got a clean bill of health, went back to NFL training camp like the next year, was on a team for like four days, and that's it. He's not a former NFL player. He's never played a snap, never been in a preseason game, never spent a month in a training camp. I don't know where they get off calling him a former NFL player. Uh, he yeah he was a very good college player all ACC all conference player Georgia Tech. A very good there's a very good story about his football career uh, in the Athletic uh, by a Chris Vanini I recommend you check it out but he did play in the CFL I that believe. ain't the NFL <laughs> no but you could just say former college and pro football exactly player. I feel like it would have been the same thing but yes I also noticed okay that. I just I couldn't get over it I had to mention it anyway uh, he, Reigns called Edge a liar and said maybe there was a moment of doubt or fear in him at WrestleMania but he pushed through it smashed and stacked him and Daniel Bryan. Jimmy said he stood up to edge for Reigns while he was on vacation. Reigns took offense to that and said he was doing Jimmy's job, which led Jay out to say that he was back for the family to be Reigns' right-hand man and to support Jimmy through his tough times, referring, of course, to the DUI that we talked about on last week's show. Reigns said if they do it all his way, they'll succeed. And they did a triple hug. Jimmy later apologized to Jay. I thought the segment itself was fine. But it was all the little like Easter eggs and the insinuations where you could read between the lines. That's what kept me intrigued throughout the entire thing. Yeah, I mean, Jay Uso had a, I'm sorry, Jimmy Uso had a DUI with a blood alcohol content more than double the legal limit. Yeah, two and a half times uh, at the time. And you really, at a time when he's in main event storylines and you kind of wondered what they would do with it. And they've decided Nothing, <laughs> right? Apparently, which I don't know. It's their call for a guy who has multiple instances of this in his career. I don't feel like that is sending the right message, but I don't know. I yeah, it it, it was 
the meta angle of this was definitely part of the interest and intrigue because you're like, oh, Jimmy Uso's here. We all know we just got a DUI. How are they going to handle this? And so that added to the, yeah, the intrigue of how that was going to play out. I'll tell you this. Jimmy Uso, if I'm booking the damn territory, would not have been on that show. Not a great idea. I mean, the last time he got a DUI, which really how ridiculous is it that we're saying someone got one DUI, let alone multiple DUIs that he has to get punished for. Anyway, last time he was out for six months. They took him off TV. They took Jay off TV for six months. It was six months. It was a legitimate punishment. I guess because they weren't involved in a main event storyline, they were able to get punished last time. This time they're just like, eh, screw it. We'll keep it going. So I certainly didn't love that was part of the entire thing, despite the rest of the storyline, to be fair, working well on SmackDown this Friday. Uh, so we'll keep going. Backstage, Edge said he'd call Reigns out, and if he had the balls, Reigns would not bring the Usos. Reigns got angry at that insinuation when Heyman told him. The Usos tried to attack Edge in his locker room, but he wasn't there. And then Rollins, we mentioned he won his Money in the Bank qualifier earlier. He was celebrating backstage, recalling winning Money in the Bank last time and cashing it in on Reigns and Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. He said he should be fighting Reigns at Money in the Bank. When Edge approached him from behind, said Rollins has not changed one bit and didn't have the balls to call Reigns out like he does. And to me, Chris, this clearly telegraphed Rollins versus Edge at SummerSlam, as I theorized a couple of weeks ago. I'm not exactly sure how they get to the match itself, but it's no-brainer booking for me because that is a true dream match. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I mean, they've been hinting at this for several weeks now i think it'd be an awesome match we'd all look forward to um just have to kind of see how it gets or i hope it's not something like seth interfering but you right. know we never know but they're they're gonna go there and i'm i'm excited for it now edge guaranteed he would win the universal title he called out reigns who left the usos in his suite told them to stay there jay told jimmy that the whole thing felt like a trap so they joined reigns anyway on the ramp reigns and edge started brawling when the mysterious music hit and they smacked the Usos from behind with steel chairs. Edge nailed the execution. Dominic delivered a double 619. And Edge speared Jay before grabbing the chair bar and submitting Jay with the crossface the same way he did Reigns at WrestleMania. Well, he didn't submit him, but he almost did. And what he did to Jimmy, you know, two weeks ago on SmackDown. Then Edge did it a second time to Jay and Jimmy while taunting Reigns on the stage. I thought this was an extremely hot finish to SmackDown. And it would have been on its own an incredible go-home segment in front of fans. They later booked the expected six-man tag team match, which we're going to get this Friday, July 16th, the Silver King's birthday, on the first SmackDown in front of fans in over a year. So I'm sure the faces are going to go over ahead of Money in the Bank, and hopefully this match delivers, you know, the same way that we would expect. Uh, ultimately, like I said, the booking Friday was incredibly strong. It led to a really good piece of storytelling and a good match decision for this upcoming Friday for the go home show. And all in all, I've been very bullish on this entire thing and this did nothing to dissuade me. Yeah, no, it, it was a very hot go home segment. It was just a strangely very, very long brawl. Like, <laughs> it was like, yeah. like, cause there was no match set up, but they start fighting with like 10 minutes left in the show. And then, and then the Usos, Usos are there and the Mysterios come out. And normally you're like, oh, we get two, three minutes of fighting. They stare at each other. We're done. But there was like a lot of time left. They did. They basically had a match. I mean, 
we're just doing moves and, and stuff to each other for a while. I don't know if the timing was off and they needed to stretch it or what, but obviously Edge decides to end up putting someone else, uh, put, I think it was Jimmy might have been the second one, in that lock. And it just, it, it that it was kept just going back and weird. forth to fill time. Yeah, it yeah. just kind of kept moving. I was like, uh, when is, uh, did they do this too early? What's going on? It's just kind of weird. But it, it was great stuff. Roman's uh, white shirts look really nice. I wrote that down in my notes. He's got white versions of his shirt now. And man, when he's got the hair down and it's dry, he looks majestic. (laughs) He that is that is obviously uh, a a good looking man, but we never see him with the hair down and it dry very often. And it's just a really interesting look. It obviously it, it looks good. So this was a fun story they told throughout the show. From beginning to end, they said they were going to do something and they built to it and then they did it. Didn't have to be a match, but it was it was good stuff. One other thing I wrote about Roman is this will play into, I, I think, what happens uh, on Friday. When Roman cut his promo at the beginning of the show, they piped in really, really loud Roman sucks chants and really, really loud boos for him later on. And it felt to me like WWE is telling us we want you to boo him when you see him Absolutely. in person. Yeah. And they did that at WrestleMania, but it, it felt almost over the top on this episode of SmackDown where they're like, we want to set the tone that we want you to boo him. We want Roman sucks. So when you see him, you're going to think we have to chant Roman sucks. What I'd like to see happen is for people to boo him, but almost give him the Vince McMahon where like you do the bow down, right? So like you have a segment of the fans, the smart fans, or bowing down to the tribal chief. You have everyone else booing him like they're supposed to. I think that would be good. But I agree, you definitely do not want people cheering him, right? Because it's working as a heel. And I know that fans get into a zone where they want to appreciate good heel work. And yeah. then they turn did boo him faces, at Mania. You know? They booed him at Mania. That surprised me. They did. Well, because it was against Daniel Bryan. And they had Edge. Now Edge obviously turned tweener in there in order to play that role. But when it's against Daniel Bryan, you're going to, you know, boo. Roman Reigns against Edge. I don't know what they're going to do because Edge is popular, but he's not Daniel Bryan babyface popular. And, you know, that needs to be taken into consideration. As far as the match goes, I'm assuming, Chris, that we're both in agreement here. You know, would it be a moment if Edge won? Yes, people would pop, right? It would be really cool for it to happen on this show. But you do not build up Roman Reigns for this long, beating all the people that he's beaten to just have him lose at Money in the Bank to Edge. You do it at a SummerSlam, you do it at a WrestleMania, um, and you do it to someone that is not on the wrong side of 40. You know, let's just be honest when it comes to uh, wrestling. And I'm not saying Edge should never win the title. I think he definitely should have a WWE or Universal title run in his future. But for this feud, for the storyline that they're telling, for where this is going to go, for the match that everyone expects we're going to get at SummerSlam without even giving the spoiler, you know, it's not a spoiler. Who do you think he's going to face at SummerSlam? Probably John Cena, right? You're not going to have Edge win the title if you're going to have Roman Reigns face John Cena. I have Roman Reigns winning and retaining the title. I don't think it's a doubt in anyone's mind, nor should it be. I have Roman winning. The only thing, there's just, there's a part of me that has felt like this for more than a year now since Edge came back, that Edge, in Edge coming back, he was told maybe you'll get a title run. But then COVID happened. He gets hurt. It doesn't happen. He wins the Rumble, but then he doesn't get a one-on-one match. It's on the the match. The WrestleMania match is on the anniversary of his retirement. 
and instead he gets double pinned to lose the match. And part of me is like, was Edge promised a title run and does he want that? But then part of me is like, Edge probably, Edge knows how this works. Absolutely. And he's probably perfectly fine with Roman getting what he's getting. If you if you're not getting John Cena, and at this point you know if you are not for SummerSlam. I mean you better Oh WWE knows, yes. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. If you're not getting him, I could see Edge winning. And then we get an Edge Roman Seth triple threat at SummerSlam. Or a rematch with a great stipulation. Well, I think Seth has been sitting around this thing the whole time, mm-hmm. and he's been in such a thing with Edge that if Edge wins, Seth's going to say, I'm, I, I, I got you, and Roman's still there. If Cena's not coming, I think that's a possibility, a triple threat that would be great. I know it's another triple threat, and they do a lot of them, but I could see that working. But if if you're getting Cena, which I, would, I think you'd probably bet your money on at this point, um, then yeah, the Tribal Chief retains. So that is our ultimate preview for WWE Money in the Bank. Now, before we get out of here, Chris, we do need to give our pre-show expectation grades. And I got to say, Money in the Bank, say what you will about the build, right? Look, WWE got a little bit screwed with Bayley getting injured. The build for that match, that women's championship match was better than the Raw equivalent. Say what you will about the build for both Money in the Bank matches, Um you know, I gave my arguments. I'm not going to repeat them about the qualifying. Some of it happening too early. Some of it happening too late. Rematches, all that type of shit. When you look at this card that we're getting, we have Roman Reigns and Edge, Bobby Lashley and Kofi Kingston. That is a hell of a co-main event. Rhea Ripley against Charlotte Flair. Forget about what's happened previous. That is a huge women's championship match. The men's Money in the Bank match is absolutely loaded, even if I would have exchanged a couple people. The Raw Tag Team match is totally fine, and AJ Styles is in there. And the women's money in the bank, it leaves a little bit to be desired, but there is an expectation that it could be a really good match. So I think the build for this was lackluster, and WWE actually did a semi-poor job knowing fans are coming back and putting their best foot forward from a booking perspective. But from a match perspective, from actually putting on a card that is pay-per-view worthy and worthy of being the first sold out show with fans in attendance in, you know, 500 days or or longer, they did a hell of a job making this card. This is an extremely strong card. We've seen from WWE during this entire pandemic that even if Raw sucks and even on occasions when SmackDown is lackluster, the pay-per-views deliver. So Chris, I am going into Money in the Bank with an A- minus expectation grade, and I'm going to be honestly shocked you do. You say whatever is in your heart. I'm going to be shocked if you're not in a similar range. I, I'm the exact same. I, I, I'm A minus. I mean, I've been A minus for some of them during the pandemic, but they do a great job with pay-per-views. This is not a card that is bloated with seven or eight matches like like they typically did uh, pre-pandemic with fans. Um, this is going to be a, a longer one because you've got two Money in the Bank matches, but it's going to be a really good show. I'm an A minus part of the, 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 the energy in me of knowing there's going to be a crowd of knowing I'm going to be, be in it. Yeah. <laughs> wants me to put it at an A as an expectation. Do it then, man. Go for it. But, but I, I think A minus is a spot, but I'm not going to be surprised if it ends up an A show. I think the only way I can give a pay-per-view an A expectation is if it, the card is perfect. 
Right, right. And right, the, right. this card is not perfect. It's imperfect, but it's super, super strong. So I think us being at A minus is the right spot. And all of you will be able to contribute your expectation grades before the pay-per-view goes on the air on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast. We will post a poll. You'll be able to vote. We will average those grades and we will talk about it on our instant analysis as soon as Money in the Bank goes off the air. On that note, let me tell you what is coming up over the rest of this week on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We will be back on Thursday, as always, with our NXT and AEW Dynamite show. Then Friday night, it will be posted Friday night, as soon as SmackDown goes off the air, we will have a very special, relatively short, go-home edition of the podcast. We'll talk about what happened Friday night on SmackDown, and I will have a special interview with a former WWE champion that is a surprise to be unveiled later. And maybe if anything changes for Money in the Bank, if we find out who the last entrant is in the women's match, maybe we'll give some extra thoughts on that. But that is a special Friday night episode for you all to listen to. Then on Sunday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern, the Silver King and Vintage Chris Vanini will be live, if he can manage it, from uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Yep. Um, in the arena, I don't. we're going to have to see what the cell phone reception is like, but we're going to try to give you a live pre-show on Twitter spaces. All you need to do is follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We will have a live 30-minute show that will conclude before the official WWE kickoff show. That way, no one misses anything that happens at Money in the Bank. We'll give our last predictions for every match. We'll talk about the entire card, uh, any news, rumors that are happening. We'll break it all down live on Twitter spaces. 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. Again, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And you guys know what's coming next. The show that you're all waiting for. Sunday night, as soon as the pay-per-view goes off the air, we will have a special instant analysis edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Isn't this the Money in the Bank edition? Yes, it will be the Money in the Bank edition of Instant Analysis Sunday night as soon as the pay-per-view goes off the air. So we have a lot of professional wrestling audio coming your way the remainder of this week. Reminders before we get out of here, don't forget to follow us for everything I just told you at Getting Overcast on Twitter. Remember what this show is all about. It's and be sure to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show when you do that. It's a big week with Money in the Bank and fans coming back. It's a big month upcoming with SummerSlam and a huge show in Las Vegas. The Getting Over Wrestling Podcast needs your support now more than ever. So with that, for Vintage Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King Adam Silverstein. I will see you all on Thursday, Friday, and again on Sunday. But for now, I'm going to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.